Welcome. Well, we are going to we are going to enter back into first century Israel. The uh, God of the Bible is not Leo. He's not the white man's God, is he? <laughs> he is uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of King David and the prophets, the God of Israel. But then he comes and he wants that message to go from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth that not only Israel, these folks in the Middle East, would, that he would be their God, but that those who are white and black and yellow from every race and language would come to know God through Jesus, their Savior, and that of all those nations and all those peoples and all those backgrounds, he would form a people. He would form a new community, a community of salvation in his name. And, and we are just a small reflection of that. There are people worshiping God all over the world this morning. Um, and now, again, we enter into a, a story this morning at the end of Mark, Mark chapter 10. It's, it's one of just my favorite little stories in the Gospels. Um, I don't even totally know why. Maybe just the beauty and the exuberance of what happens here with, uh, between the Lord and the fellow in this story. Um, so we enter into this first century Israel, but again, we see time and time again how it's, God's word is timeless and speaks to us today. Um, Ann Kolb, some of you know Ann Kolb, uh, Floyd and Ann worshipped with us for many years. They now live as an old couple in Florida. <laughs> well, that's what you do, right? You, you get old and you move to Florida. Um, I, you should tell her just to listen to the recording. That's what you, yeah. Um, <clears throat> she put up a quote by Helen Keller uh, the other day that said, it is a terrible thing to see and have no vision. Um, it is a terrible thing to see. Helen Keller did not have um, her physical sight. She said, it's a terrible thing to see and have no vision. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, he said, woe to you, blind guides. Woe to you, blind guides. In, 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 another, in another place in Matthew, he, said, he says, if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So blindness in the Bible is often used as a metaphor for not perceiving what is spiritually real and true. And again, always remember when the Bible talks about what's true, it's talking about what's real. What's real. Not just academic truth, it's talking about reality. So one may physically see, but have no vision. Uh, this morning we again have a story of a blind man who receives his sight, and it's, it's the last example of physical healing that Mark gives us in his gospel. But physical healing, whether it happened back in the first century or whether it happens today, is always a pointer to the greater spiritual healing desired by God. 
Uh, some Bible scholars, it's interesting, think that Mark has purposely bracketed or bookend, put bookends in this section that we find from the middle of Mark chapter 8 up into Mark chapter 11 where the Lord enters into Jerusalem. And this section is, is predominantly about discipleship and service, how what discipleship is supposed to look like and how counter it looks like to what the things of the world. He's bracketed it with two healings of blind men. Because it seems like what Mark's trying to say is that there needs to be a healing of your eyes, not just your physical eyes, but your spiritual eyes. And it's something that disciples are bumbling through. They're not seeing. They need spiritual healing. The people are not seeing Jesus for who he really is. But yet we have an example of a man who's physically blind today who does. God wants us to have new spiritual sight. God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 42, I will lead the blind by the ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will turn darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Israel knew, Israel knew that one of the signs when Messiah came is that such things would happen as, as told in Isaiah 35. This would come to pass. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap for, like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. They knew that when Messiah came, such things would happen. Blind people would see, deaf people would hear, lame people would be able to walk. But what so many of them missed were the spiritual implications of this that these were just pointers to the greater spiritual reality. Paul is Paul's going to Damascus, right? And he's knocked off his horse as he sees this vision of the risen Jesus. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he's what? He's what? He's blind. He's struck blind for how long? Three days. That's a little weird, right? The three-day thing. Think about that for a little bit. He's struck blind for three days. And then until God tells this guy, Ananias, hey, Ananias, I need you to go to Paul. And Ananias is like, say what? He's almost like, do you know who Paul is, God? God's like, yeah, I do. I know who he is, and I know who I'm making him to be. And Ananias goes in obedience and prays over Paul and prays that he would receive the Holy Spirit. And what happens? Right, scales fall off his eyes, and he can see. And he goes, and he obeys, and he's baptized. And, and the rest is history, as they say. We need the scales to fall off our eyes. We need the scales to fall off our eyes to come to Jesus for salvation. We need the scales, in a sense, to continue to fall off our eyes, to see clearer and clearer that our vision would get better and better and better of who God is and who is He is calling us to be. A former slave trader named John Newton famously penned the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Yeah, I was blind, but now I see. Uh, verses 46 and 47 of Mark chapter 10. They came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, um, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy 
on me. So Jesus is just about, just a little under 20 miles uh, from Jerusalem. There was an, uh, an old Jericho that had been destroyed. There's a new Jericho that Herod built up. It was a, a resort area. Herod had a, a palace there, a winter resort palace there. And Jesus is going to Jerusalem, going through Jer- uh, Jericho. He knows the cross lays before him very, very soon. But this doesn't stop him from exemplifying what he's been saying over and over again and showing over and over again that the kingdom rule of God is a rule that comes to serve and not be served and to serve the most downtrodden, the most oppressed. Jesus said he did not come to be served but to give as a ransom for many and that's what he wants his disciples to see. And that's what he wants them to model and that's what he still wants us to see. And alongside the road in, uh, near Jericho, there's this common scene in that time and place. And it's still a common scene in many places today. That a blind man sits and begs. He's no, he's no dummy. He's strategically placed uh, near a city, asking the generosity of people as they come by. It, it would have been a recourse. Um, There's now this mass of people heading to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. He knows where to be. And we're told that the blind man heard that it was Jesus. Right? The, the, The prayer is that eyes would see, ears would hear, minds would perceive. So his eyes are blind, his ears are open. And this it's interesting, this man crying out. This is just a little side note. He's one of the few people that, uh, in these healing stories, that we have a name. And his name is Bartimaeus, which simply means the son of Timaeus. But Timaeus means to honor. To honor. So it almost seems like there's some irony going on here that this man that was so dishonored and so neglected and overlooked is the son of honor. But I think I will see as the story goes, he lives up to his name, no matter his place in society. And one of the beautiful things of this story, too, is we're going to see how both man is calling out to God and God is calling out to man. The Bible says uh, that, that God has chosen his people. It uses words like that. You're chosen. It uses words like predestined. Before the creation of the world, God God knew you, he chose you, he predestined you. It says that God sought us and he calls us. But it also says, (laughs) at the same time, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. The the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, physically speaking, Bartimaeus is the first to cry out for mercy. He sits in the dirt. He's neglected and overlooked. Again, he has no recourse to help himself. He's dependent on the generosity of of people throwing a few coins his way. He needs mercy. He needs grace. And he knows it. One of our biggest problems, we don't know it. Right? (laughs) 
So Bart seems to be the initiator here, but aren't we kind of naive to think that God wasn't already preparing him for this moment? So just think for a second. For those of you who know Jesus, by the time you called out to him, look back, think about it for a second. By the time you called out to him, don't you know that he was already calling out to you? Don't you know that he was already preparing you for that moment? Didn't he surround you? Didn't, didn't, wasn't he inviting you and calling you well before the fact that you called out to him? And, and some of you, may, some, maybe there's a couple here this morning that still haven't called out to him. And, and I would suggest that even the fact that you're here today shows that he's calling out to you. And, and I think we see this preparedness of Bartimaeus' heart in how he called out to Jesus. Um, he, he saw if we could say that, what so many who could physically see were not seeing. He, he calls out, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why does he call him the son of David? I'm sorry? It's messianic. What does that mean? Okay. Right. So King David, right, the Messiah, the anointed one, capital A, the one who, capital A, capital O, the one who is coming, would, the, the Israel knew he would be of the lineage of the great King David. So, here, when Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, son of David, remember, he's miracles, he's a blind man, he only heard, just like you're hearing this morning, what Jesus had done. He's in essence saying, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Do what only Messiah can do. And Jesus said, when when, uh, Peter said, he he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter eventually says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, hey, listen, Peter, that wasn't a man that revealed that to you. That was who? That was God, right? That was God the Father. So God's already working on Bartimaeus' heart, and he's seeing what a lot of people can't see. Jesus, Messiah, do what only Messiah can do. And I think that's, isn't, shouldn't that be our prayer? Shouldn't that be, I mean, certainly, again, prayer for, prayer, prayer for salvation, absolutely. Shouldn't it be a prayer of discipleship? Shouldn't it be our Going plea to the Lord, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Do what only Messiah can do. Save me. Save me from myself. Give me eyes that see better and better, ears that hear better and better, a mind and a heart that is being renewed daily by your Holy Spirit. Do what only Messiah can do. So many people, let's be real, right? desire change. I know all kinds of people that are like, I want to change. I know all kinds of people that desire help. But so many people, and we, many of us can relate to this, I can relate to this, we lie to ourselves because we say, um, I need change, I need help, but it doesn't have to happen today because it can happen tomorrow. How many of you know you'll be here tomorrow? And then tomorrow, God, by his grace, allows tomorrow to come, 
but tomorrow there's no change because you lie to yourself again and say, well, you know what? I want change. I desire change. And, and someday, someday change will come. Maybe tomorrow. Someday things will be different. But change doesn't just happen. And, and help doesn't just happen. Someone has to, you, you have to cry out. Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me and do what only Messiah can do. You must call out for help. That's true for salvation. That's true for addiction. That, that's true for the emotional scars we have, the mental scars we have. That's true for your anger. That's true for your bitterness. That's true for your discontentment. You know, many of you are like, I'm discontent. You want to know why? I'm discontent because my wife. I'm discontent because my husband. I'm discontent because I don't have a wife or I don't have a husband. I'm discontent because my job. I'm discontent because my circumstances. No, you're not. And that's not saying your circumstances are pretty and perfect. I know some of them are really hard, but that's not why you're discontent. You're discontent because of this. Your own heart. And God's like, cry out to me. And then seek the help you need. And sometimes that help that God's going to bring is going to manifest itself through people, right? Jesus said, Jesus struck, Paul I mean, Jesus struck Paul blind, and then he sent Ananias to go help him. Isn't that great? Are you ready to call out to the Lord? So here's, here's the rub. Even if you do, I'm not trying to be discouraging or being real. The, the story's real. Here's what happens. You say, yes, I am. I'm so tired of my addiction. I'm so tired of my anger. I'm so tired of my fear. I'm so tired of my discontentment. I'm so tired of feeling helpless. And you're like, I'm ready to call out. And then you call out, and I tell you the truth, that the evil spiritual realm hates it. And they will, th they will throw up every and at any roadblock to hinder your help. That's right. Like, we can confirm that. Like, we know that. Because even when we say, I'm ready for help, and I step out, I want to get help, all of a sudden, there's this and this and this, and wow, maybe I should just shut up and keep my place. Mark 10, 48, many rebuked him. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd is on its way to Jerusalem for this Passover feast, and I'm sure they've grown callous to the many, many Bartimaeuses of their world. And we can do this. We can go grow callous to those who are in need around us. You know, in this city, it may be, it may be the, the folks that are, again, addicted or homeless, or, you know, in the country, it just might look a little different, but it's the same, isn't it? It's the same problem. 
It's the same brokenness. It's the same troubles. It just manifests itself a little different. And we go grow callous to those things. And in, in, for Israel, in spite of what Leviticus 19.14 says, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Instead of obeying that, the crowd does everything they can to shut this guy up and to, and to hinder his access to Jesus. And this is what have been doing. The little children want to come. No, 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 don't bring them. The, the guy is like uh, casting out demons in Jesus' name. No, 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 you can't do that. This guy is calling out to the Lord. No, 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 be quiet, keep your place. You know, I, I think <laughs> what the crowd is saying, in a sense, is saying, hey, Jesus has no time for the likes of you. But uh, David Garland put, puts this simply, the crowd usually gets it wrong. The crowd usually gets it wrong. And I, I think we can pause here just for a minute and, and, and consider those things are, that hinder us from coming to the Lord. Again, whether it be for salvation, whether it be as a disciple for the change you know that you need, and we could also think about how we may hinder others from coming to the Lord. The exact opposite thing that we're called to do. Um, so, what stops you? And, and just think about this. So, what, what is it that hinders you? Is it your fear? Is it the fear of... Uh, is it, is it protecting your, your persona that you've created and your ego and your pride? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Is it maybe that you've just lived with this thing for so long that you actually coddle it, you know, like, like Lord of the Rings, my precious, you know, my precious. And it, it almost feels a part of you, and, and it's like you're actually afraid to have that thing out of your life. And we also, like I said, need to ask, who might we be hindering? Are there people that, that want to seek God, but for whatever reason, whether it's spoken or unspoken, what they hear from the church is, you're not welcome here. Jesus has no time for the likes of you. You know, does our broader community, when, when we think about even our context, do they see our community as a community of light and life? Or just, you know, another group of people that kind of, you know, infight and backstab? And Do they see our Christian community? I know we're not perfect, but are we striving to be a people where the Lord says, you know how they'll know you? You'll be... You'll just be so marked by your love for one another. So we got to say in those ways, are we actually encouraging people to see Christ? Or are we throwing up roadblocks? Do our neighbors, do our neighbors say, hey, that's a place to experience God? 
Are we welcoming the downtrodden and the broken and the disabled and the poor and the addict? And the moral failure as lo- along with the, the person that is self-righteous and maybe rich and proud and has worldly success, but even there says, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm an empty mess. That one and all, we'd say, Jesus is calling you. And we're not going to hinder you. We're going to keep inviting you. But as soon as you do, as soon as you say, I need the help, uh, you're right, I, I need help, I need to come, I need to come and place myself before the Lord, Satan will use every tool in his tool belt to shut you up and keep you in your place. You'll never change, you'll never get over that thing. If people really knew what you were like, that relationship will always be broken. But I love Bartimaeus because they're like, shut up, Bartimaeus. Be quiet, stay in your place. And what does he do? He gets louder. He gets louder. He just ignores them. Jesus! That's what we need to do, man. We need that kind of perseverance. There will be those things that try and stop you. There will be those things that try and hinder you. There is an enemy that is against you. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Call out to him and don't give up. Oh, so 49 and 50. Jesus stopped uh, and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. I love this. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus is on his way to save the world. And now he stops to save one man. You know why? Because Jesus is going to the cross. And at the cross, he's going to defeat sin. And out of the grave, he's going to dominate death. But he still saves the world one response of faith at a time, right? One response of faith at a time. And now he he commands, notice this, he commands those very people that were just hindering. uh, So this is a call to us. Those people that just were hindering Bartimaeus. And he says, hey, you guys, call him to me. Notice that. This is great. They're just like, shut up, Bartimaeus. No, you know, Jesus is people like And he's like, yo, you, you bring him to me. You call him. And I think how beautiful that is that Jesus turns those who are, as, first, as Colossians 1.21 says, once we're alienated from God, we're enemies in our minds as shown by our evil behavior, and now he makes us, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, ambassadors of God's ministry of reconciliation as though God were making his appeal, what? What? Through us. As though God were, so God has an appeal to make. Be reconciled to me. And then he says, I'm going to make that appeal through you. That's quite a calling.
But what better words are, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. <laughs> I the call, as he hears our one weak voice calling over the din, over the chaos, this calling of Jesus as he says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching, my lordship upon you. Learn from me, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Should change our attitude. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think the crowd is now following Jesus' instruction. They get this right. Cheer up. It's not this light and, you know, it's not a get over it. It's a take heart. It's to take courage, be of good comfort, be of good cheer. Why? Because your circumstances are great? No. They might be good today. They'll be bad tomorrow. They'll be good the next day. It's all over the map, right? Why? Because he's calling you. Because he is inviting you to himself. And I think it should change our movement. <laughs> And I love with Bartimaeus how decisive his movement is toward Jesus. And, and he sheds, he, 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 nothing slows him down. This cloak that would have protected him probably from the elements, that he would have laid out to collect the coins that, that people might give him. It's the one, probably his one worldly possession. He's like, nothing's slowing me down. And he does what the rich young ruler with his many possessions could not do. He leaves his one earthly thing and, and he gets up and he, he, he clamors to his feet and he moves even through his present darkness to the voice. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, you who are burdened, I will give you rest. R. Allen Cole says, there is a joyous extravagance and recklessness of response when the soul becomes suddenly responsive to the call of Jesus. I love that. A joyous extravagance, a recklessness of response. Why Jesus is calling me. It should change my attitude. It should change my movement toward him. Some of you run away from God. Some of you want to run away from Jesus, and he says, come. Finally, verses 51 and 52. <clears throat> he's thrown his cloak aside. He's jumped to his feet. He comes to Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, Better Rabboni, it's, it's this real strong expression of respect. I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And then immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So lastly, Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Does that seem strange? So this blind beggar sitting in the dirt 
comes clamoring to Jesus through the crowd, even though they told them to shut up. Now they say, all right, be of good cheer. Get on your feet. He's calling you. And then he comes to Jesus. Shouldn't it be obvious what he wants? Why does Jesus ask him that? Any thoughts? Okay, putting him in touch with his own need. Hmm. Okay. Say it out loud. Yeah, that's, yeah. Mm hmm. Gauging his faith. Yeah, it is striking that the God who knows all would say, what do you want me to do for you? Look, look at verse 36 of the, when James and John had said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? The exact same question. What do you want me to do for you? That question exposes our heart. And, and where James and John come wanting position and status and power, Bartimaeus doesn't come with a, with a sense of entitlement and wanting position or power or status or riches. He comes in his poverty and he's like, Lord, I just want to see. And he comes in faith, and the Lord, as a response to that faith, heals him. And, and what's beautiful is, I think we need to see that everything changes for Bartimaeus in that moment. He's not blind beggar Bartimaeus anymore. He's a son of honor. He, he's lifted up by the grace of the Lord through faith in Jesus. And he and he's now lives by that grace to his namesake. And I, I think that as we wrap up this morning, we need to ponder that question. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> for Bartimaeus, it says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And for those who receive new sight, that, that should be the new reality following Jesus. That's the journey of discipleship. This journey that the Lord's trying to teach his disciples. It's a journey to Jerusalem. It's going to be a journey of the cross. And the scales fall off and we should say, all right, now lead me, Lord. John Philip says, with his eyes fixed on Christ, he had no trouble knowing which way to go, nor should we. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask for new vision. We ask for an ever-growing vision of you. We ask that we can see you for who you really are.
Lord, there may be a few here this morning that um, are really ready to call out to you. Maybe there's one or two that just say, I'm ready to call to you for the first time ever as my Lord and Savior. Maybe there's some who are just wrapped up in shame or guilt or discontentment or anger or bitterness or addiction or fear, and they say, I'm just tired of it. Lord, we know that there'll be an enemy that wants to tell us to shut up and keep us in our place. I pray, Lord, for the power that only your spirit can bring in our weakness to cry out all the louder. Lord, heal our eyes, heal our ears, heal our minds and our hearts that we may follow you. Not that we would ask for privilege and status and position and comfort, but that we would say, Lord, I just want to see. I want to know you. I want to go where you go. I want to model your servitude and your love. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.